we're all always constantly learning. So being a part of that journey encompasses it all. It's the growth of an artist and a person. If you are the best version of yourself in that moment, then you will be the best artist you can be in that moment. Everyone has a job to do and it's all for the same purpose, to put on a show, right? Everyone is there collectively for the same reason and we all put our talents out on the table and make it work as a, as a group. Even if there's adversity, even if there's people pushing you down or discouraging you because of your choices of their own opinion, screw it. Do your thing because that inspiration can last your entire life. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Robb. In this episode, we're going to be talking about what it's like to be an artistic director with Johnny Kim. Hi. Hi, Johnny. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Anna, do you want to give a little intro as to what Johnny Kim's all about? Sure. Johnny Kim started out as a gymnast and classically trained pianist as a young boy and moved into drama and theater as a teenager. He had an eclectic performance background in dance, musicals, and circus. Since then, he has also served as a choreography captain, artistic coordinator, assistant artistic director, and artistic director for the different shows, including Dragon's The House of Dancing Water and Cirque du Soleil's Volta and Totem. Hi, Johnny. Hi. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. We are super excited. Where are you? Tell us where you are. I am currently in San Diego, California. In Vista, specifically, where I grew up. So this is my childhood home that I'm at. So all the memories and wrapping all together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my mom still has this, like, mini homage to me in the corner where it has all my plaques and trophies and medals. And it's it's a weird blast from the past every time I walk into this room. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Such a proud mama. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so do you want to tell us about you then? your career, your path, uh, yeah. your experiences? So as you mentioned, um, I started out as a classically trained pianist. Uh, I also did gymnastics, but at a very late age. I was, I think, 13. Um, and then in high school, I did show choir and drama. And what people may not know is that I did not start dancing until college, so quite late as well. Um, and I remember being there for my first ballet class and I love the idea that it was in a massive studio with a live accompanist and of course the natural thing for me to observe was that they were playing classical music which was my background. From that point on I started performing professionally and had a very successful 12-year performance career. Uh, so that's basically me in a nutshell. It's, it's interesting how my path led me into different directions because I think with my gymnastics background, but then my new love for dance, I somehow stumbled across musical theater because of my background in show choir and drama. But then I stumbled into circus arts um, in 2007. And so this whole dream of being on Broadway kind of took a little bit of a segue um, into circus arts. And I think from that point on, I never really left the circus <laughs> and I, it's been very enjoyable ever since. So. so what were the highlights in terms of your, you know, your performance career? It's obviously it sounds very eclectic, 
but um, was it mainly US-based? Like what, what were some key sort of job shows that you worked on? Well, the first ever professional job I got was um, with Gina and Ryan Productions on Norwegian Cruise Lines. So I was hired as um, an acrobat dancer. But that one really was the kind of catapult for the rest of it. And it, it only happened because of my dance teacher in college, Sue Wilson. She, there was a moment in time uh, when we were getting ready for our spring performance of, of the repertoire that we were working on. And she said, look, this is new to you, but you clearly have a knack for this and there's huge potential. But in order for you to really understand if you want to be in this industry or not, you really have to go out there and audition because it's, it can be pretty brutal as far as that kind of quick judgment of what you have to offer. So once when you audition, you should be able to understand what it's like and, and see if it's something you want to do. So I went to that audition, but I booked the job on the spot. I remember Gina and herself asking me at that callback audition, do you have a passport? And I said, uh, no. Uh, and she says, how, how quickly can you get one? And my response was, I don't know. How quickly can you get one? <laughs> um, <laughs> So I did the rush order from Los Angeles, got it in a couple days. They called me in a couple weeks and I was on a flight to Fort Lauderdale within a month of that audition. So it was quick um, and my life changed from that point on. And there's, of course, lots of key things that I did as far as, you know, dancing with the Radio City Rockettes on tour, being in an amazing cast of Miss Saigon in North Carolina with people that have done it on Broadway and, and other actors that have done numerous other things on Broadway, like The Lion King. And so I was immersed into a huge, huge kind of atmosphere of amazing talent. And then when I stumbled into circus arts, it was only because I auditioned while I was living in Vegas for a show that actually brought me back to San Diego. And that was Cirque de la Mer at SeaWorld. And, you know, with my gymnastics background, my movement quality, and I guess my personality, they took a chance on me. And I went into that job not knowing how to do Chinese poles and flying trapeze, but I trained it and I performed it uh, in that mm. summer. And it opened a huge door of circus that I never thought possible for myself, I suppose, um, because at that point I had seen Cirque du Soleil and I was super inspired, but I never thought that that would be something that I could do. And I think I just did not um, give myself enough credit. Um, and from that point on, you know, everything that I had from my background, even from the beginning of being able to play the piano and have an ear for music, you know, all of those things kind of played a role into what I had to offer on the table with the background and, and knowledge that I had. And what a great uh, groundwork for your trajectory to being an artistic director, you know, and, and in terms of those foundational steps of being in all those areas of performance from musicals to, you know, circus. So tell us about the transition to artistic direction and then also what tell us what an artistic director does. So in my transition through even just all the different gigs that I got, you know, whether it was dance, musical theater or circus, there was a lot of people along the way that really shaped my career because of what we had to share. You know, I remember moments on the cruise ship where the singer named Laura Hart, she gave me singing lessons because she needed an accompanist to work on new material so she can go back to New York. I remember on one of the cruise ships, I learned how to rhythm tap from my friend, Justin, Justin Madden, um, in a stairwell on a cruise ship. So all of these things kind of helped shape that. And so I just progressively got better. And in doing that, that kind of sharing and that kind of collaboration had like a very unique connectivity to just people in general. And I think 
my natural leadership qualities, I, I suppose, came out that I didn't even know I had. And so some of those leadership roles that I had in the past were never something that I sought to do. It just fell in my lap. And it just happened to be, they'd ask me, would you like to be the dance captain? Oh, okay. Would you like to be the show captain? Great. Would you like to be the assistant cast manager? All right. And it just, I never even saw what the end scope was going to be. I just took it because I knew I was up for the challenge. I knew that I had something to offer. And I knew that I had this natural mutual respect and rapport with my colleagues. So when it kind of got my uh, career into Asia, and I remember sending a video submission for um, Franco Dragone's The House of Dancing Water, which at the time was like the dream job to work for Franco, you know, after all the shows he created for Cirque du Soleil and then branching out to make Celine Dion's A New Day and Le Rev, you know, the, the magic and the artistry and the dark artistry that he had was very intriguing. So being able to audition for your dream job and then getting it was huge. And there's something to be said that it's good to have dreams to go on Broadway. It's good to have dreams to go into Cirque du Soleil, but that should not be the end all be all because there's so many other things that should fulfill you artistically to where those titles and those labels should not matter. So by the time I got to House Dancing Water, it, it was kind of gearing towards my body telling me that acrobatics specifically was probably not going to last very long because I started to have little nagging injuries here and there. And I knew that the, the course of my direction could go back to musical theater if I chose that. But I was so so heavily influenced and invested in, in, in the new passion that I had for circus that I knew that in the entertainment sector, I wanted to stay. Um, and so my transition happened kind of because of the injuries, but because I had opportunities like being the artistic coordinator of a cast changeover in Europe to train new artists that would eventually go into the show. And in doing that, I found this new love for being behind the scenes where you share the same kind of accolades and that applause from the audience because you were a part of their journey as far as teaching them the choreography and, and developing them from athlete to artist and then seeing them on stage and, and flourishing in that way. Um, and it was very joyful. So when that led me to artistic management, that was kind of the trajectory. And I realized that that's the way I wanted to go and uh, become an artistic director one day. That was quite long-winded, but yes, that was my journey. <laughs> so, but what, what do you do as an artistic director? Oh, you know what's, it's so funny because this is always, I don't know what it is, but it's the hardest question for me to answer. And believe it or not, <laughs> I get asked this every time in every interview that I do uh, with Cirque du Soleil. And somehow it doesn't get any easier. And I think it's because it's so all-encompassing. So sometimes I have to bring it back to zero. And when I think about like how I explain it to my dad, where English is a second language and entertainment to him is still quite new. You know, I, I basically sit him down and I say, okay, dad, you're going to go see a show that I was on and a part of. And when you see the show, I work with a lot of people to make sure all those moving parts on and off stage work and that everyone and everything is in the right place representing the message we are trying to portray. And so we can put on a good show that leaves people feeling like entertained, joyous, and inspired. And even that is like already complex of an answer, but that's as simply as I could put it. But in other words, you know, for all the listeners out there that maybe want to go into depth about it, but, you know, I'm someone that is responsible for maintaining a specific vision, especially if it's a show that's already been created. Um, and I maintain that integrity by staying true to it 
as well as trying to progress it in a way that's relevant in, in modern day sometimes. Um, or if there's something that's going to change within the show, it's about progressing that same vision, but that it's still cohesive with the original with that high level of integrity. And then what that kind of entails, I guess, is, you know, I manage and nurture a cast and an artistic staff to develop and pull out great potential um, in them to deliver, you know, a show filled with magical moments of storytelling, um, inspiring performances, and to celebrate the human body and its capabilities when we're talking about Cirque du Soleil. And probably, I think, for something that's on tour, you're adapting the space and the, you know, as you move from place to place, there's some adaptations that may need to happen and perhaps, you know, cast changes and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of work behind that ideal isn't there you know in terms of people management and absolutely assess I mean do you do evaluations of start cast and staff yes absolutely and I think one pe- one thing that uh, people that are not in entertainment forget is that when you pay for a ticket to go see a show you want to see what has been advertised and that's your expectation and so when you're dealing with a show that runs day in and day out there will be natural illnesses and injuries and whatnot so when you when you talked about like integrating new artists and cast members and casting. It's also about trying to rejig the show when th- small pieces are missing to where it seems like a still complete show and that no one's really missing anything. And that can involve teaching people backup tracks or different acts and contracting them in a way to where if holes are there, we can plug them with something else in a different order that's still cohesive with the story, but showcases the show as its entirety. Uh, And so people have no idea. Oh, I didn't know someone was sick or I didn't know those three people were injured and you really needed 12 and you only had, you know, nine. Mm. Um, And that's a huge part of it too, to cast worldwide for talent, but then maintaining that kind of level on a daily basis, especially if those artists come from athletics. That's a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of curious, but uh, something you've mentioned in the interview and in other interviews as well, and it's your relationship with, with the performer and the athlete and help them grow to become an artist. And then not only as an artist, but also help their development and growth as a person. Well, you are definitely the first person to ask me that question. I think this one is going to be a multifaceted answer a little bit. So I apologize if it's a little long, but okay. So I guess when we think about growth, it can involve a few things when it comes to an artist, right? So I think the the easiest one to pinpoint first is skill set. You know, you set out there to dance, sing, flip around or fly, and then you have to hone in those skills to be the best you can be. And then you have to push yourself to be even better. When we look at the innovation in the arts in general that pushes the boundaries of what's physically possible and um, where creativity can go, you have to keep up naturally. The second thing when it comes to growth uh, in a more artistic way, let's say, is the different ways we can express ourselves to the fullest. And that could be whether it's creative new ways to move, the quality of it and how it reads to an audience member in the back row, let's say, or how we want to tell the story. So the intention of all that is the sake of storytelling. And then the growth in this aspect is all the openness to explore, I guess, with your heart, your mind, and your body. So this growth transcends an artist to a new level, whether it's higher or just different, but it's still growth nonetheless. But the process of it all, when talking about growth as an artist, is it's at a human level for me. 
And I think a lot of people can resonate with that idea. But I think at the foundation, people talk a lot about the dedication it takes, the work ethic, goals that people have, what they deem as success. But what most people forget is that life in itself gets intertwined with that entire process. And that includes all kinds of things. It's home life, relationships, financial struggles, what defines you, or getting wrapped up in what your parents' expectations are of you or other people's views of who you are and what you do. I mean, it's endless. So as people progress as an artist or an athlete, you organically find ways on how they tick, how they react, how they learn, how they think. And you get into patterns where you find out what learned behaviors have stuck with them, how their new open mind can seek like their own answers to what they actually believe in or what they stand by how they cope with making mistakes and how their upbringing has had an effect on that. We're so different when it comes to overcoming adversity and then we have to find new ways, but it's easy to find those ways when being right or wrong is off the table. So in essence, all of these things tend to be a learning curve on how to cope with working with people, how to represent yourself, how you want to walk out into the real world. Because at the end of the day, when you are not on stage and you leave that theater, and let's say you're in the middle of the town square of a foreign city, you are no different than anybody else. So my question is always, who do you want to be? You know? And in the end, when I integrate a new artist into a scene, yes, there are simple things like you stand here, you do this, you go there, then we do this. And remember that thing we rehearsed. But when you really like take the time and dig deep and get to know the artist for who they are, over time in that arc, you don't just see their progress in the show, but you see like that your day-to-day relationship of constant communication and collaboration kind of shapes them into someone newer and fresher every day because we're all always constantly learning. So being a part of that journey encompasses it all. It's the growth of an artist and a person because my motto, I suppose, is that if you are the best version of yourself in that moment, then you will be the best artist you can be in that moment. And that is where we witness like the magic that we have on stage that brings people to tears. And so it's all encompassing. And so I always try my best in my own way to treat everyone human first because the artist comes after always. They already have that talent. You already selected them for a reason. You know what you're getting and then you just kind of nurture it and tweak it and, and let them fly, you know? I think that's a wonderful answer, Johnny. And I also think that given the Cirque du Soleil environment with such a number of different cultures, that that's quite a large palette of experiences and things to deal with. You know, like you're not just dealing with a bunch of Australians or a bunch of Americans. You've got these people from all over the world coming together. There's a complexity in in simply managing that as, as they're going through that personal development. Would you agree? 100%. I mean... That's one of the challenges, but that's what is one of my favorite things to do as well. Yeah. Because it's not very often that you'll find yourself in this space where you have so many people from so many different places, um, like a true melting pot. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what would you say then becomes the most challenging part when you're trying to keep an entire production together? And, uh, you know, because you, you've got you've got the physical aspect of the job and then you've got that, uh, you know, emotional development that you're, or, you know, people development with all of the cast members. It's it, that, that, that then sort of expands that job to being a massive, massive responsibility, I guess. Yeah. It's funny because the segue was already natural. We just kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, because in the line of work that I do when it comes to touring shows, um, different to, let's say, Broadway, uh, I generally have artists from 20 plus countries. 
And what that means is 20 different cultures um, and learning styles. So a challenge is to, to find all those different kinds of ways to communicate with them, regardless if everyone can speak like a foundational bit of English. And I'm sure you know this based on some of the things you've done, Anna, but what you say to one artist and how they comprehend that imp information is not going to be the same for somebody else. So mm. if I'm going to be implementing new choreography or staging a new scene and it involves a lot of people, the challenge is how you bring that melting pot together to be able to successfully achieve that goal collectively and efficiently. Because you need everyone's comprehension, but also you need their buy-in to make it work. And when you're pressed for time to, that, that's a big challenge. Um, when I talk to my artistic team about this, I, I have used this analogy once about making, or Anna, have I ever told you about this? My thought about uh, making a soup or a stew? Um, you may have, but tell us again. Okay, so <laughs> I always think it's like making a soup or a stew. You have all the ingredients on the table and each one of them have something to offer, right? And then it's about how you use them in various ways to come together to make a delicious soup, you know? Like sometimes you need more acid, more salts, spices, more sugar, more umami or whatever. Um, so you have all the best ingredients in front of, the, uh, in front of you, but then you have to put them together to have the best balance and have a hearty, delicious bowl of soup, you know? And then when you think about everyone else's recipe, because of course every artistic director is gonna have a different vision or a different idea or a different style. It's the same thing as when, you know, recipes vary depending on the region where you're from. And so sometimes they'll also say add to taste because everyone's palate is gonna be a little bit different. So when we're talking <laughs> about making a soup, I do the same thing. I look at it, I'm like, well, what does the scene need? And who can bring that to life? And how do I balance this? And the people, everybody, are like the ingredients. And then I have to make the stew. That's how I look at it, in a way. I love that analogy. And having seen you work, I, I can see how that plays out in the way you lead a stage because I, yeah. see, I see how incredibly you, you do and manage a group of people and change your tone and change your approach to depending on the person that you're trying to direct. It's a, it's a wonderful talent to have. And I'm a foodie, so I think that naturally... <laughs> it totally works <laughs> so you've mentioned things that you like about your job that are challenges but if you could change something whether it is from being an artistic director or the whole industry what would you change i think in a lot of ways there is an imbalance of the term show business, you know, we're all in this, we all have a passion, we all want to do stuff, you know, whether it's dancing on stage or whatever, we want to share and create, create that kind of art. But in order to do that, it has to be a business, you know, and so there, that's what pays our bills, that's what gives us a paycheck. Um, so there is going to be a business side. But I think what I would want is to have a better balance, I would say, of having business and then remembering what the the sole purpose of why we're there uh, if that makes sense because i feel like sometimes if if we want to create that kind of magic and share it with the world and have people see it and be inspired and walk away and then continue to come back for more live theater because of that impact but we lose that objective then the whole purpose of sharing that art and craft and what we're trying to do gets lost and then it just gets diminished to a point where Maybe we're robots and machines. I mean, there's all this technology out there with robots too. But yeah, when it's out of whack, I think that the whole purpose of live entertainment just kind of slowly loses its, its luster. That's what I would change, more of a balance. How to do it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not going to sit here and crunch numbers. That's not my thing. But, you know, that's my opinion, really, or perspective. Uh, you're a firm believer of the power we have to touch and change lives. And yes. you've mentioned it. So as an artistic director, what do you hope the audience takes with them at the end of the show? Or when would you consider it was a successful day or a successful show? Well, especially during times like this with the pandemic, you know, we as a people, we watch a heap of fictional, non-fictional movies. There's so many television shows out there on so many platforms. And then, of course, there's theater. But they all share the same thing, which is they're telling a story, right? And that story leaves a mark on you, whether it's a comedy, a dramedy, a drama, a horror, it doesn't matter. I think a lot of theater goers will agree with me when I say that live performance will always be better than a screen because, duh, hashtag human connection, right? I think that that's always going to be the focus point, right? Um, and then when we're talking about human connection, there's always this emotional impact. And that is what changes your life, you know? Because whether it's just you deciding to dream bigger or something has affected you so much to where your ethos or your philosophy has shifted, um, or maybe you're just fascinated with humans and what they're capable of, you can be inspired to connect with your inner creative side. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't have to be dancing. It could be painting. It could be poetry, script writing, you know, or a story brings up something in the past that you haven't dealt with. There's so many things that can have an emotional impact when you watch something, right? And it all stems from, something that you feel inside, which I believe is a huge, I think our emotional side of the human feeling is like a massive spectrum, right? So a successful day for me is when people leave feeling some kind of emotion because that has a lasting impact, even if they can't articulate what that is. But if they feel something, then that, that already is a win. Because whether you take it away from the story, a specific moment, performer you liked and act the music it's just how it made you feel that's important and there's um there's a saying that i stand by when i think about how i lead as an artistic director or how i want audience members to leave the big top when the show's over and that's you know it's that quote of it's not what you said but how it made me feel and there's obviously a dot 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 and it can be expanded further but that's the true winning moment, you know, because that has the lasting um, effect. And then anything's possible. You can change the world if you want to, you know what I mean? <laughs> I love that outlook. It's amazing. I know. So what has changed or like what are significant moments that have changed your, your life as a performer or an artistic director or an audience member? Oh, off the cuff question. He's going to have to think about that one. <laughs> no, to be honest, It's the people. And I think, you know, you know, when people ask me, like, why I want to be an artistic director, okay, yeah, I love shows. <laughs> I love things and, and performing arts and all the things are creative and artistic. But it's really the people that make it the best because, I mean, there are so many different industries or so many different professions that I think could relate to the same thing. But when you are put in a situation where everyone has extraordinary talent, You know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking just artists and technicians. I mean, to create what we have on a nightly basis involves so many people. I mean, it comes down to uh, people that work on the HVAC system so that the heating and cooling is right. The plumbers, the, the janitors, the cooks that cook in our kitchen when we travel on tour. And yeah, maybe that is not relevant to all shows, but everyone has a small part or a big part. Actually, essentially, everyone's a big part because without that, that that wouldn't work. Like the people that put stakes in the ground and build the big top, everyone has a job to do and it's all for the same purpose, to put on a show, right? 
And so that is my big takeaway is the people because everyone is there collectively for the same reason. And we all put our talents out on the table and make it work as a, as a group. And then you add in that ingredient of having everyone from so many different places. It's such a blessing to be able to work with so many different cultures to where even if you didn't travel the world, but you had all those worlds in your big top, it's a wealth of learning, of culture, of knowledge, of sharing, of humanity. And that is just priceless. I think you cannot buy that experience. I don't even know if I answered the question. I got so passionate about the people. I just, I love it. It's, it's that human connection all for the same purpose and it's beautiful. So every day is a possibility for you to change your life essentially, Johnny, as you approach yes. your work in that way, I think. Absolutely. And it only takes one. And I know that's a cliche statement, but it's true because I used to be that one. I used to be that person that went into the theater and was so taken aback by what I was seeing because I didn't know how to process it. It was so new, but it was so flashy and shiny and emotional and dramatic. And it just, it, it burst my bubble. And I was that kid. And now look at me. So if that can happen to anyone, and it doesn't mean that everyone's going to go out there and be an artist or everyone's going to go out there and be an artistic director, but it sparked any kind of inspiration to where people can go out there and find their own passion and lead their own way uh, and do what they want to do and, and not have any shame about it and go full out even if there's adversity, even if there's people pushing you down or discouraging you because of your choices of their own opinion, screw it. Do your thing because that inspiration can last your entire life. And drive your career. Absolutely. Mm. I think that's a perfect note to wrap this podcast in this conversation today, full of energy and mm. a lot of inspiration. A lot of love. Yes, a lot of love. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being here with us. It's been amazing. Absolutely. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theaterartlive.com and you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Girata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.